0: Welcome to The Working Mama Podcast, a show that provides real-world tips, tricks, and advice to all working mamas on how they can have a career, family, and hopefully one day break the glass ceiling. Hey there, mama. Welcome back to another episode of The Working Mama Podcast. I'm releasing this in early February 2024, and this week my son has started school, primary school, for the very first time, so that is a whole new level of juggle, I have to say. 9 till 3.30 really does not fit into 9 till 5 as a minimum work hours. But we're slowly getting it there, managing communication with hubby, and we're slowly, I think, navigating it. Also, school lunch boxes. If you've got kids, I'm sure you can relate. Now, back into a different phase, is what we're going to talk today about the podcast is about the return to work. And I'm sure many, many people listening have either experienced this or about to, and I hope you listen to this before you go back to work, is about the imposter syndrome and particularly around the imposter syndrome of going back to work. I know that I certainly experienced this and many people do because they're like, can I still do my job? Am I worthy of it after having children? So today I chat with Cass and Alicia, who are two clinical psychologists, and give so many great hints, tips, and also relatability into this topic to really normalize and let you know that it's okay to feel this way, but also support you through it. And this week's episode is brought to you by The Working Mama Village. Be sure to go to the website, sign up for the wait list. Doors are opening in the next couple of weeks. Welcome, Cass and Alicia, to the Wealthy Mama Podcast. How are you both going today? Good, thank Good to you. Thanks for having us. I think this is only the second podcast that I've done with two people, so it's uh, <laughs> yeah, very exciting and a little bit different. So I hope everyone enjoys the conversation that we're all about to have. Yeah. But just just so we get to know you both a little bit better. Better, Cass. Do you want to start off and how would you best describe yourself and what's been your career journey so far?
1: Sure. So uh,
0: I'll,
1: I'll introduce both of us. We're both clinical psychologists. Uh, we're <laughs> a big advocate of women, both working mums. So we definitely are very familiar with the juggle and we're very used to leaning on each other throughout our time of, of becoming mums. But we met about 10 years ago when we were doing our doctorate. So we've been going on this journey together for a long time. And I'll hand over to Alisa to yeah. to do a bit of an intro well.
2: Yeah. Yes. And Karina, Cass and I are both very used to talking together (laughs) 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 and answering each other's questions and finishing each other's sentences. So, yeah. So we met 10 years ago doing our job since then. And we've both worked in clinical psychology in the more sort of traditional settings. And we've also worked in in organizational settings as organizational psychologists or in in that context. And I guess the common thread for both of us through our careers, working together and separately, has been that time and time again, we, you know, kept coming across the same story. I'm sure you have heard it many times too, coming across brilliant women, you know, talented, capable women who just felt so held back by self-doubt and these other internal barriers in the workplace. So more recently, I mean, Cass and I have been working together in different ways for the last decade, but more recently over the last couple of years becoming mums ourselves you know motherhood has that way of clarifying our priorities so we really consolidated our passions and set up our organization to end. yeah we're we're really committed to helping brilliant women to step into their full potential so that's ha- a bit about us and how we got to to where we are now yeah
0: and it's certainly motherhood as you said it certainly does so like, probably clarify what your priorities are. And, and I know that I've certainly been mm. through that. And I think that motherhood changes, you know, women in so many ways. Like you think, yep, okay, this is going to be my ma, this is how I'm going to be, or I know, in my so many people ask you, "What's your birth story?" and "Hey, what do you want for that?" and and but no one mm. actually then really considers everything after that forty eight hours of having mm, a child, absolutely, yeah, and and how much it's actually <laughs> going, I'm going to really successful. good for real, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you know, in the in the labor classes and things, no one actually prepares you for this is what motherhood is like. This is how yeah. much yeah. it's going to change you, and it's it's certainly overwhelming. You we just don't prepare ourselves enough for it. Has that also been your experience as well? That You know, people, it's so much focus on the birth, but not so much on the aftermath and the postpartum and, and the experiences after.
1: It's actually funny because I was really conscious of this. I was thinking, okay, I'm going to invest all this time learning about birth as a, you know, diligent, like, oh, I am, And then I was thinking, <laughs> oh, how do I prepare myself for post birth? Like, what do I need to learn to be able to yeah. do this? Cause, uh, I was really daunted by that. And So many of my mum friends have said to me, you know, oh, don't worry about the birth. It's like afterwards that, you know, you really need to focus. And I tried to find resources for it. And, you know, there was lots of like guides on how to deal with mastitis and those sorts of things and sleep schedules. But unless you have a newborn, you don't really fully understand what it's like. And it's really hard to actually prepare yourself for it. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. And I think also there's a lot on the... What would you call it? Like the the doing of being a mum, but not so mm-hmm. much on the being of being a mum. You know, like there's this. You, you know, put the kids to bed at this time and feed them this, and keep you know keep their nutrients up, and all those things. But there's not much on what happens to us internally as a result of becoming a mum and how to navigate that. Like, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they only touch on it a little bit, and thank goodness for mothers' groups or parents' groups. But certainly, we need more on really navigating the internal stuff that happens just for us and having space for that and I think you know Karina the work that you're doing it's almost like a mother's group for returning
0: yeah, <laughs> it returning is, yeah. To... <laughs> so, it's a good yeah, way thinking yeah. about it yeah? <laughs> um, but they really love... need it yeah and that's where I love the topic of matrescence and I think it's something that people mm. need to be really educated on so much mm. more and it wasn't Like, I, when I, many people have probably heard me tell the story before that when I first did a podcast on Matrescence, I couldn't even say the word. Like, that's how I didn't even know about it. And I was probably about two years postpartum from my first child. And I couldn't believe it that, but then throughout that whole podcast episode, as I learned about Matrescence, it was like this light bulb went off. And but that also needs to be so much part of the journey because that is obviously mm. the journey and, mm. and becoming into mum and, and that's where some of the work that I know that's happening around retrescence is so important, of that identity shift and and really yeah. that journey where we're going. And I guess there's that initial part of, of postpartum and that, but then also there's the identity shift, as what you both have already said, about then that returning to work because, again, you're the person that finished up going on maternity leave, Is As much as you want to deny it or accept it, it's a different person. You've got this little human being that you've got to think about of who's looking after them and, you know, what childcare and what are the care arrangements and things. And that self-doubt is what you said. Like there's so much in that transition returning. It's so much more. And I say it's actually not a return to work, but it's more of a transition because definitely is what you said, Alicia, earlier about that mental of being a working mum. Yeah. So what are you experiencing and what are you seeing through some of your patients and and people that you're interacting with that return to work and some of the emotions and experiences they're also getting?
1: Yeah, we definitely uh, hear
0: this a lot because there's just so
1: many mixed emotions with people returning to work. You know, there's not only the logistics to think about, as you mentioned, which are overwhelming and anxiety inducing, but for women, that sense of self-doubt of can I do what I previously did is such a prominent thing for women. And in our professional experience of working with women, we hear this so much, you know, women really doubting their capacity to now do what they previously did. And um, But the research also backs it up. So there was this really interesting research done by one poll. They looked at about a thousand women who were returning to work. And, you know, the most common out of 10 things, sort four of most common things that came up or worries that came up for women was all around their capacity, you know, a huge percentage were worried that they had to prove themselves to their colleagues or, you know, doubters. could I do what I used to do? I've forgotten what I used to do or am I going to be competent enough? So there's a lot that women are grappling with when it, when it comes to returning to work and, you know, it adds a huge emotional toll to all of the logistics and all that other stuff that they're trying to navigate as well. Yeah. Um, so were you saying to
0: uh, say something
2: th- to release, it? Yeah, no, I was just thinking also about, you know, it, it sort of ripples out. So it's not us in isolation. I mean, yes, we're thinking about children, we're thinking about work and we're trying to think about us and what we want and where we're heading and how all of that fits together. But there's also, you know, if you are in a, in a partnership, the negotiation between who is going to do, you know, who's going to, who's going to harbor this, you know, who's going to take, take this on and who's making more of the shifts. And that introduces a whole other range of emotions into yeah our our relationships and how fair and you know equitable and considered and appreciated we feel so yeah I feel like it really goes beyond the bounds of just us and work it really permeates through through our lives yeah
0: yeah and I think it's so much of that probably that invisible burden put onto the mother Mm. of like well Mm -hmm. you've been caring for a child you go back you you work out the child care you work everything out and it's like but as you say, it's a partnership. I even had yes. this, this morning, the conversation with my husband. My son's got a birthday tomorrow morning. And I said, and I'd spoken to him on Tuesday and said, you need to get the present. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said to him this morning, Well, you're at the shop over lunch, what are you going to do? And he goes, I'll get my brother's present. And I'm like, and? He goes, what else? I'm like, and? Right, present. And he's like, what? Oh, I don't know. No, I'm putting this on you because yes. I always do the birthday yeah. presents. And I said, no one's following me up to get the
2: birthday present. Why should I have to follow you up to get oh, the birthday the present? Follow up, such. Alicia and I have solution.
1: literally had this oh. same conversation. Oh.
2: <laughs> I mean, I just last night was having a wine with my husband, and he, anyway, he was complaining about how he can never find a pseudo cream, like it's never in the same spot. And and he said, you know, if we can if we can find a solution, you know, where do we need where do we need the pseudo creams? He said, "You just tell me where where we need the pseudo creams, and I'll put them in." I was like, "Don't ask me; just do it." Anyway, you know, we can really go on about <laughs> yeah. the mental. Yeah, but mental load's huge, and I think that's <laughs> certainly that feeds into that return to work
0: as as a big topic, and it's and it's something that is is huge, mm-hmm. and it obviously comes into that self doubt because it's I guess that burden that load of can I do this. 'Cause it's, you know, caring for a child takes a lot. can I go back oh. into work and the logistics and mm-hmm. and things like that? It certainly seems to be a really big part of it as well. So how can we how can we navigate that? And I know that self-doubt's not one only just the
2: element you also see a lot with imposter syndrome as well. Yeah, well maybe we can start by talking about, you know, why self-doubt mm. shows up so much and then and then we can talk about what we can do about it. So I think it's a really important point to for us to understand. Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the things that we hear so often is moms doubting themselves or feeling like an imposter when we get back to work. And, you know, imposter syndrome is is really triggered in any situation when we feel like we're doing something new or we feel that we're different or when we feel challenged. And returning to work or transitioning, as you said, Karina, to work ticks all of those boxes. And I think going back to what we were saying before, Returning to work, we feel different because we are different. You know we have changed, our identity has shifted all it's a huge transition. All those pieces have been thrown up in the air, and we're sort of looking to how they're going to land. They've so got all these questions about who am I? what matters to me, what's enough? what's too much? You know so we go back into the workplace and we have all of these unanswered questions. There's a lot of uncertainty brewing internally, and that's a bit of an internal journey. but we're also returning. Two workplaces where in many or most cases we feel that those organisations or work contexts don't really cater to us, we don't really feel like we belong. In many ways, the you know, workplaces stigmatise working mums and so we find ourselves either trying to hide who we are, feeling like we have to split between, you know, at 9am I'm a mum and at 9.30, you know, this person or we're really trying to overcompensate. So, so many times that process of navigating who we are on the inside and re-entering a place that we feel like isn't designed for us, leaves us feeling uncertain, unsure, doubting ourselves, and and in many cases, feeling like an imposter.
0: Yeah, it's such a big part. And I know in my own journey, I've actually had to grow a lot in confidence to be able to stick up for being a working mom. Like I've had someone mm. say to me before, oh, you can't travel because you've got a child. And I was like, no, I can. I've got a really supportive husband and things like that. And I was like, I'm sure you haven't said this question to a father. Mm. And they're like, ooh. And it, but it took a bit of internal confidence for me to actually openly hold that per- and call out the behaviors. And I know not everyone may have that confidence or that feeling that of support in an organization that you actually can go and call. And sometimes it does take someone to call it out and go, it's just like if someone's bullying you or like, or doing something about it, it's a form of like you've got to call out these behaviours so people are made aware of, no, it's not okay. And, yeah, you know, organisations really should and need to make people safe because it's not just the female that's going through this, it's also a father which often we forget about in the process. Yes. If we, as what we're talking about with the mental load. The more that we can <clears> also <throat> support, Fathers in their parenting and organizations holding these people, you know, and, and giving them th- the permission to you know, mm. leave work at 435 yeah. o'clock so they can also do the pickups. That it's not only just the mothers, but it's also the, those workplace cultures. So they don't feel so excluded as well. Mm. Yeah, my husband really struggles with this. He every Thursday and Friday when my daughter's at
1: daycare, he has in his diary daycare pickup. And without a doubt, every week I get booked over by a meeting because people just don't respect that he does that. Could say just assume I'll do it, or you know, someone else will will pick up. And so yeah, there's a huge cultural shift that needs to happen—not just for fathers, but also for working fathers. And I think once we start to see that a bit more, it will actually also be easier for working mums.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And so now we have gone through like the the what is like the self doubt and the imposter syndrome that. How can we, yeah, I guess actually probably my next question is what are the factors that are contributing to this? Like, yeah, why are we, why are we feeling this way and why do we experience this self-doubt and imposter syndrome?
1: Yeah. It happens a lot because when it comes to imposter syndrome, it's actually a reflection of the context that we're in. Often women are particularly good at blaming themselves for feeling the way that they do. But when we step back, if we're in a workplace where we feel underrepresented, like our needs aren't being accommodated, which doesn't like, you know, other people don't look like us, it's really hard for us to feel like we belong. And when we don't belong, we question ourselves. And all of these questions lead us to feel like an imposter. So a lot of the time, the reason why we feel the way we do is actually because of the workplaces we're in. And we can't forget that workplaces were designed for men, by men, you know, specifically for factory workers uh, working nine to five in the 1920s. So there's a long way to go for workplaces. And even though there's been, you know, decades of women returning to work as a mother, many workplaces really struggle to accommodate their needs effectively. You know, you always hear of women like having to pump in the toilet or, you know, there's one, I always say, if men had to breastfeed, I bet there'd be like a luxury lounge on every single <laughs> <laughs>
0: <particular sport. laughs> like, floor. That'd be TV. There'd be, like, be a gorgeous like, lounge on,
1: no, well, uh, you know, little treats here and whatever else. But that kind of stuff is just not accommodated. So, of course, women feel like they are questioning themselves. Do I belong? Should I be here? Do I deserve to be here? And because women are often so conscientious, any accommodations that their workplaces make, they think, oh, I really need to appreciate Are Oh, they're so flexible with me. They let me work after hours. Like, you know, <laughs> Of all these things that women do, which actually then for themselves actually reinforce them feeling like an imposter as well, unfortunately. Mm. But yeah, at the heart of it, it's because the context that, Working mothers are in often really don't allow women to feel like they belong mm.
0: and what can we do about that? like if we recognize that, what how can we can we create the change not only in ourselves the workplaces and and those around us so Hopefully over time, women aren't experiencing this, or if they are experiencing it now, what can they do to manage it? There's things that that
2: we ourselves as women can do, and then there's things that the organization and our managers and the people that we work with can do. So I'll start by talking a little bit about what organizations and managers can do, which we've sort of touched on already. But you know, as Cass mentioned, the context that we work in really informs how we feel about ourselves. And- so often the design of the workplace doesn't really accommodate for diverse needs of the people that work within them, strangely. And so particularly when it comes to women or parents returning to work, so much of the rhetoric is deficit. You know, there's this sort of deficit dialogue around what women can no longer do. You know, we talk about baby brain and all of this fleet debt and all the things that women can't do. And so the way and I think that's really reflected in a lot of the policies and procedures that cater for women returning to work. So often you know the the options that people get when they come back to work is well do you want to do less? Hmm. You know, do you want to take on smaller projects? Do you want a smaller team? Do you want less responsibility? Do you want to work part-time? So do less or do what you did before. Those are the kind of options. And that doesn't really reflect the huge transition that a woman's gone through you know we can't necessarily go back to working the way that we used to work before we had children but also we shouldn't be required to diminish ourselves to do less so I think organizations really need to look more creatively and flexibly at how we can cater to individual needs so it's not about mums you know because that is such a diverse group that sit under that of, It's about the individual having conversations, not about do you want to do less or how many hours do you want to do, but how can we make this work for you? What are your needs? You know, and people have so many different needs. Some people are carers, some people are parents, but you know, whether or not that starting at different times, working in the evenings, whatever it is, but allowing there to be enough room to reflect the individual. So I think that's one part of it, but also as a colleague or as a manager, because Cass and I deliver manager sessions on imposter syndrome and one of the things that we really talk about is that one of the key drivers of imposter syndrome is that so often we feel alone in it. We doubt ourselves, we don't talk about it, it's really isolating and we think it means that there's something wrong with us and a lot of that is driven by by us comparing ourselves to other people, often other women, they seem to be getting it getting everything done, holding the fort, getting it all together. And so I feel like I'm drowning on the inside, but I can't talk about it. And so one of the things that we really encourage colleagues and managers to do is to lift the lid on that and to talk more openly about the reality of what it's like, times when we've doubted ourselves, the juggle that we're silently and quietly doing. (laughs) And then we show up on a, you know, on a Zoom call and we're all bubbles and we have all the energy in the world. So Yeah, I think having more honest conversations about what things feel like, the concessions that we're making, the juggle that we're managing really helps people and women to feel like I'm not alone and this is a really normal and expected part of my experience of returning to work. Yeah.
0: And so if women, you know, if we're obviously comparing ourselves, which is unfortunately in the day and age that we are every day doing, and we're, we're feeling that isolated, what is that first step? Like if we're just like, right, I don't know if I'm doing it. And I know that sometimes rather than sometimes reaching out for help, we probably just go back down into a deeper, darker hole. I, you, you're the professionals, but I know certainly from my experience, sometimes that's what happens. I'm like, Oh, can I do this? Can I not? And I just like sometimes spiral down. And I know recently actually Mm. I spoke to someone and she helped me pull my, pull me out of it. And I have to say it's been amazing so what is it that we can then if we and how do we also do we recognize that that's that self-talk that we're actually saying to ourselves
1: yeah and your point of asking someone how they're going that can be a really nice thing looking for those signs in people when they seem overwhelmed when they seem flustered when they struggling to you know they might be struggling to turn up on time to things or they're struggling to get things done checking in like is there something else going on it's a question that we can ask. and but also for ourselves it's like giving ourselves permission to ask for help i think particularly mothers are so used to doing so much on their own allowing yourself to ask for help is actually like a very compassionate thing that you can do for yourself and a very effective thing that you can do so it's really that saying to myself I don't have to do this on my own because when we step outside of comparing ourselves with others in that sort of more negative way we compare ourselves in in more of a human way we realize that we're all actually struggling and none of us are alone in struggling with something so if we are able to tap into that and recognize like there are going to be times when I need help allowing ourselves to reach out in those moments is really one thing that we can do that's different.
2: Yeah. yeah, and one of one of the superpowers of women is you know we're we're expert connectors and we thrive <laughs> in our connections. So, you know, just yesterday I said to Cass, "Oh, I got like I just don't know how much sleep I need to feel like I have energy again. I'm so tired. I've got a one year old and a <laughs> four year old, and and I was like, you know, do you ever feel this way too? And I think that's a useful question. Have you ever felt this way too? Such a connector. But Cass said, you know, you know, I lay for on average, mums in the first year lose about three hours sleep a night. And you know what? You're right. You're right. Actually, I was up all night last night. But we forget and it's such a helpful reminder and connector and so validating to just have those conversations, whether it's, you know, maybe you want to start with friends and then, you know, find a supportive group in the workplace. But, yeah, finding those connections is so helpful. Yeah, Yeah, but there's also things that we can do. Individually, in terms of that self-talk stuff, the narrative that we're feeding ourselves, Cassa, did you, wanna you want to jump in on that? that? Yeah. So, you know, as
1: Alicia mentioned before, often the conversation is really around capacity and not being what we are used to being able to do. And often you hear mum saying things like, "I've got a baby brand and if I'm going to be able to do stuff," um, but you know, most people would be happy to know that baby brand isn't actually <laughs> a thing. Did some research on this recently as well in 2022 let's debunk
0: that right now (laughs) (laughs) So this is you know when
1: it comes to the mums i think a lot of it is about debunking some of these myths around their capacity because you know women are actually inherently very capable but yeah baby brain is not a thing they looked at like the performance of pregnant women women who had a child under two and non women who didn't have a child and actually their capacity was comparable across the board in fact Mothers and pregnant women actually outperformed the uh, childless mothers on some things. So you know, they, really know.
0: they always say, yes, "Working moms are very productive." So that just exactly you. right.
1: Yeah, and the more kids you have, the more productive they found that you are. So, yeah. How am
0: I not surprised?
1: Um, so yeah, it's actually you know really recognizing that your functioning hasn't been diminished by motherhood; it's actually been fortified by it. And that's a really big shift that mothers can start to make for themselves. And without looking at the facts, you know, we are actually not diminished. You might be tired, yes, (laughs) but your actually inherent capacity has not changed. And I think that's, for a lot of mums, they're really struggling uh, because they feel like they themselves have changed as a person, but their capacity to do things hasn't actually changed. In fact, if if mothers want to sit down and write a list, and we really encourage people to actually do this, write down all the things that you have learned through motherhood. Like, you know, the times that you've surprised yourself, how deep you've had to... what are the wellspring of resources that you've established what are some of the you know emotional resources you've had to navigate and tap into mothers have developed so many skills whether it's you know being able to be fiercely compassionate and advocate for someone or set boundaries multitask reassess priorities there's so many things that mothers have taken on which are new for them and unfortunately, often these things are undervalued or invisible in the workplace. Mm. And that's why it's really hard for women to recognize these things. But these are actually this like, huge extended capacity that we women do. are bringing into the workplace with them. Mm. And yes, to your body, if you want something done, ask a working partner to do it. But yeah, that, that's one thing. But we, yeah, we really encourage women to sit down and reflect just on how much they've actually learned. Even if you think about, at least saying it to me before, remember that first week when you come home with your first born and you're just like, what on earth Yes I' do with this kid? <laughs>
2: how do I leave the
1: house? <laughs> yeah, how did you manage to leave the house? What did you do? Because then women start to develop a sense of self-trust that they can actually handle whatever comes at them. And I think a lot of women expect to feel confident, but you know you don't really feel confident until you've done something for a while. So, and so it's about recognizing that they can trust themselves, that they can get through it, and that yeah. they'll be able to pick themselves up if things don't go well, because they're certainly precise as a parent. If things don't go well, and you know what? You pick yourself up. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: you <laughs> that's such an important message about trust and you're and so, mm. so, so true about confidence. You know, they, isn't it? You've got to be an expert if you've done something for 10,000 hours or something. Yeah. yeah. But if you've, you know, as we we're returning back into work, we've never done it before of having a yeah. kid and going to work and doing all the childcare drop-off pickups and logistics and thinking about this other human. So of course, naturally, you've got that first day, just like as a new mum, you're not confident. That first nappy change—I don't know about you—I had no idea. My my son was in the niku, and so I'm trying to put my two arms through, and pee literally went everywhere. Uh, My my husband had a good old laugh, and he still reminds me about it. And I was like, I had no idea—it was the first nappy I literally changed. (laughs) But now I'm confident, I can wrestle my um, two and a half year old. that's like an octopus. So. The alligator, but I guess it's so true <laughs> that we expect and we put this expectation on ourselves. Mm. Yep, right day one, yeah. I'm going to be fine. But it's really more about that self trust, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's a process, you know. And we mm. we learn in steps, the same way that we did with motherhood. You know, each week, each developmental milestone, you're learning something new about your kid and also about you and your growing capacity. And I think it's such an important lesson that we learn and take away is that, you know, I learn in steps and I can handle things and that I grow as I go. And if we apply that same message to any new situation or any transition, including when we go back to work, then, you know, we can really go into it feeling more, more solid in ourselves and more trusting in our capacity yeah yeah, but big advocates of self-trust <laughs> yeah. and also you
1: can do it imperfectly as well you know I think there's for women we really love to do everything right we've often been conditioned to do everything perfectly but it giving ourselves permission to do things imperfectly mm-hmm. releases that burden as well
0: yeah and look no one, one does their job right like no one ever goes to no. like as much as we want to we go to go to work every day trying to do our best there are like no one's doing it right. Everyone's sort of figuring it out. It's just like when someone starts a new role, we know they're not going to be able to get to be skilled up. It's going to take them probably three, six, 12 months to be right there. Yeah. So it's exactly the same mentality as well, mm. returning back yeah. into work. Because, you know, and in the economic situation we're at the moment, things are changing. People have changed and new probably processes and things like that. So no doubt, probably some part of the organization is also struggling with some change elements.
1: Mm, mm, you can't mm. be
0: expected to come in and just sort of kick off where you've last, last left off because yeah. naturally the organization has moved in a direction and you've also got to transition and really be re-inducted almost in, into that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And a yeah. are also,
1: think- also starting new roles as well. Yeah. yeah. Another added challenge. They're so not only for double whammy, mm. you know, not only are you starting a new job, you're also doing it with a whole new set of conditions.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's certainly, I'm, I know there's certainly those changes because often, yeah, we are going from, I know personally, and I know many, many women go from full-time work down to part-time work because they do mm-hmm. want that flexibility and the change mm-hmm. of hours. So yeah, naturally, sometimes those roles and responsibilities do change and the like. So yeah, no, it's it's so important. Is there anything else just related to managing imposter syndrome? So as, as you return back into work, Is How do you, is it something like people can journal just to recognise some of the behaviours and just go, oh, yeah, cool, I am actually doing okay? Just again, of just managing then that self-talk or are there some other strategies that women can apply to support that transition?
2: I think allowing ourselves to to do it imperfectly, to go back trusting that we'll learn as we go and that we can handle new things and new experiences. I mean, the other thing, the other thing that,
1: you know, I think women need to be really aware of is there's actually a lot of insidious stigma and stereotypes around women who mm. return from work. And it it starts really early on, like the second people find out that you're pregnant, they already assume that you're less intelligent, less competent, mm. less committed. And that also then affects women once they return with a child. So we know that mothers earn less, they're less likely to be promoted, they're often lower starting salaries. So there's all these things, unfortunately, that happen in our society which women then internalize, which then again makes them feel like they're inadequate or in some way or their capabilities diminished. So coming into workplaces with your eyes wide open, I think can be a really helpful thing for mothers to be aware of, that if they're feeling that way, it's not their fault that they're feeling that way mm-hmm. and becoming really aware of these biases and starting to shift the narrative around mothers and recognising them for all that they are doing, I think is a really helpful way that we can start to change the conversation here. Yeah.
0: yeah. So that I we're just- not...
1: Getting hooked into some of those unhelpful stereotypes because unfortunately we just end up going with them a lot of the time without even realizing. Yeah. Oh, thing.
0: Oh, 100%. I, when I was pregnant with my second child, it was actually during COVID and we we're in lockdowns mm-hmm. here in Melbourne for years on end. And so when yeah. I found out I was pregnant, I actually didn't tell anyone for quite a while until I had to because I'd also had some issues in the past. So I just wanted to make sure I got through 13 yeah. weeks. But then I didn't tell colleagues very deliberately it was like, I don't want you to judge because I'm pregnant and I just wanted you to know me for my role. And it wasn't till a little bit later on, it was like, look, we're going to be recruiting someone's coming in and that. So it was actually a period of time that I actually enjoyed not being judged or, Oh, okay. Next year you won't be here anyway. Yeah. And no, yeah. those assumptions. Yeah. And yeah, so it was the really sidelining in- the sidelining. So it was really interesting to actually play. Like from pregnancy one, I had a loss in the middle, so it was interesting how people also mm. like when I because I would announced it quite early, and so then I announced it quite late the second time round or the third time round. So it's just interesting the the be- perceptions, but I have to say I really enjoyed people not knowing, mm. and then it wasn't yeah. until when I went into work to do a handover while I was like thirty five weeks pregnant, <laughs> and they're like, "Right, come <laughs> <back> <laughs> <in."> <laughs> I had the same thing. I was just seeing
1: clients online and like working as a psychologist. And all of a sudden, I was like, you yeah, know, so I'm going t- on maternity leave. And they're like, you're doing what? <laughs> I like, Absolutely no idea. I, like, no, no, actually, like, yeah. I, did, I did wonder. Like, and I, as soon as I told people, I did actually know if people started to mm-hmm. treat me differently. Yeah. Said, oh, are you sure you can do that time? Are you going to be okay to do that? Like all of a sudden, I was going to yeah, have a wish brain and not be able to focus or do anything.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was actually quite a lot of fun. I probably did it as a bit of a <laughs> test, but, but it was actually I enjoyed still being me. And I guess yeah. also as what we're talking about a bit earlier, that identity shift. So being pregnant, as what you said, it's an identity shift. People treat you different. The perceptions are changing. Oh, look, right, you're not going to be here in six months' time. And they kind of start to cast you out. Mm. But not, delaying those conversations was actually, I really have to say, I enjoyed it that I wasn't stereotyped as. or were you're pregnant. Yeah, but yeah. I still, and it makes, I still me as an identity. Yeah, yeah. and
2: even that makes you realise how strong the stereotypes mm. and prejudices are. You know, the fact that you can sense that difference, that you enjoy it. I mean, it's one of the sort of benefits of of working online. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it just shows how present those things still really are in our workplaces, and and how far we have to go.
0: Yeah, it's 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 definitely a, um, an interesting space in that. So. Is there anything else, like even from a society perspective, that you think that, you know, how can we start to, I guess, and transition? And I know it's not a switch that's going to be flicked, but what mm. do you think are some of those even milestones that we can start to have conversations around and and start to change the dynamics around particularly re- women returning back into work? But then I guess also then on the other hand, to be able to do this, we need big supporters. And the number one supporter we probably need in the workplace is going to be probably our manager and probably our husband or partner. So we can't can't make the change ourselves.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing that we really recognize. You know, a a lot of the work Alicia and I do is around helping women overcome the systemic barriers that they've internalized. That's why we focus on things like imposter syndrome or helping women with their confidence or finding their voice. Because it's the system around them that's made it really hard for women to feel like they can show up as women and as, as they are, really. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, to your point, I think it's, you know, having the conversations, workplaces being very conscious and flexibility without it being like, you know, oh, let's be flexible for you because you're not capable of doing this. Men becoming very aware of the role that they play or partners becoming aware of the role that they play as well. So that they're, and really, yeah, classifying is a bit of a shift when it comes to how we're treating working fathers as well. So that yes. they able and that the, the stigma around them taking time out of the workplace is not being penalized in the same way. And we are starting to see from shifts, you know. Yeah. A lot of workplaces are doing parental leave instead sort of maternity leave. But even the terminologies are starting to change a bit. I think yeah. there's a lot of way to go.
0: Yeah. It's yeah, we've in my corporate gig, we've only just had our second father go on maternity oh. parental leave this year. And there was only one person that did it last year, two people this year. But people are like, I didn't even know that they could do that. And I'm like, this was, this policy was launched years ago. So it's interesting as yeah. well that, yeah, still having that uptake and father's worried about having the career hit and things. So it's interesting. Yeah. And then I think I, my brother-in-law is entitled to it and he's like, no, it's too hard of to work to go on parental leave. If I'm
2: staying at work. <laughs> Isn't <laughs> that the truth? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. you need to
0: do it. You should offer You should do it. not only if they're available it's available to them it's that men taking it up
1: willingness yeah absolutely yeah
2: yeah Yeah. and I think also you know because of that whole deficit dialogue around women and, and baby brain and you know all of that stuff we can also influence the system by influencing how we speak to ourselves how we speak about ourselves and the questions that we ask each other and what we celebrate in each other I think too often the questions about Motherhood. How are you going? You know, how do you do it? How do you balance your professional and your personal life? And they're not actually asking for the how of you do it. Like, teach us your magic. They're mm-hmm. asking for tell us about how hard it is and how diminished you are as a result. They want it as a pity party, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. right? And you know, I think there's there's a way that we can go, even in the conversations that we have and the conversations we're having at work and the way we speak about ourselves when we go back to work or we're interviewing is how do we talk about ourselves and our journey into and through motherhood? You know, what capacities have we developed, what new skills, what resiliencies? And and giving people space to talk about those things starts to shift the conversation, the dialogue, which I think is so important because it really it is something that we we need to celebrate rather than just accommodate. Yeah. And yeah. not being apologetic about it as well. I think that's
0: a yeah. Funny. I think it's, as you're saying, it's really turning that negative really from a negative into a positive. So it's really going, poor you, but actually how empowered you feel, how yeah. that, that talk and, and like, no, actually, you can do it. Like I even had people say to me, oh, poor you, you've got to go to four days a week. And I was like, no, this is my choice. Like I'm yeah. the one that's making yeah. this decision. I want to go back work. I want to work four days a week. Other people around me haven't made like hasn't this is my decision as me myself and i often say to mm-hmm. people i'm much a much better mum by working i would be a cray cray stay at home mum, like yeah like i just couldn't i'm feeling it. that way right now
2: yeah because <laughs> <laughs> you know we often talk about if you were to design a boot camp for one year plus plus nine months of pregnancy or whatever you know like a, a period of time where you could send someone to learn about resilience and patience and compassion and advocacy and personal strength and personal trust, you would struggle to come up with a better boot camp than the journey of motherhood. And it's funny because, you know, when people return to work, say we sent them off to some conference in Berlin and they've learned something, they'd listen to someone talk for two hours, they come back and we're, oh, tell us about it. What did you learn? You know, what are we going to learn from this? What are we going to acquire from that? But none of those questions surround women when they return, you know, from this incredible experience, a boot camp. You know, when they come back with all these skills, a lot of them are transferable, but we don't, as organizations and managers, we don't draw out the full value of that, I think. And there's a lot of room to shift that or break. Yeah. Mm Yeah. Celebrate and recognize
0: that
2: the
0: skills that we're picking up in motherhood, like we often, as you said, it's that the deficit dialogue, but it really should mm. be the amazing skills dialogue there's at the of that. I'm yes. I think you're right now. But, you know,
2: just
0: oh, and recognizing you've birthed his child, you've kept him alive, but also yep. you've learned a lot, as what we've said a number of times. Recognizing that. That's a skill, as you said.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So we've got a way to go. But, you know, having conversations like this and, you know, the work that you're doing, I think, helps to to push things along. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: More that we can all band together to to create the change and at least also start the conversation. I was once at, I was at a conference a couple of months ago and I was talking to a very male audience. So I shifted my conversation to be more male oriented. I wasn't just going bang, to bang the female drum, but mm. I put it back on the audience and I actually said to the males, I said, What are you doing to support your partners? What are you doing mm. to support the females in your team? And the next day, and even people came up to me and also particularly one father came up to me the next day and he said, I went home and had a conversation with my wife and said, I actually do want to share the load a lot more. I do mm-hmm. want to be seen as a role model with my mm. kids and pick them up from childcare and the like. And I was like, look, if I've impacted one other person, particularly a father by having a ripple, yeah. then I'm happy yeah. because he's, he's gone home job. and had. I've done my job. He's gone home and <laughs> had that conversation because he may not have had that conversation beforehand, but." It's certainly, you know, changing that narrative around it. So, you know, it's really important. Just before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to just add on this? I think we could talk about this all day, by the way. So,
2: yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we covered most of it. Oh, one thing that we haven't touched on is the cost of imposter syndrome for women. I think this is useful for for women to know so they can recognize the signs in themselves. But, you know, based on the research that Cass and I did on self-doubt and imposter syndrome tends to show up in one of two ways. So you often see when people are doubting themselves or feeling like an imposter, they either go to underdoing or into overdoing. So underdoing is when you're doubting yourself, really holding back, you're sort of diminishing yourself. You might be avoiding your opportunities, not going for that job, not stretching yourself, not Stepping into things that really reflect your full potential. And when we do that, you know, it it means that we're often uh, taking roles or taking pay cuts and and also in that process really losing part of ourselves and part of our identity. So it really comes at a personal cost. We really feel like we've shrunk as a result of becoming mums. The other side of it is that some of us flip into overdoing and we feel like an imposter. So that's when we doubt ourselves. We really feel like we want to prove ourselves. So we're working hard, working long hours, trying to perfect everything, and really burning ourselves out in that process. Uh, and that also comes at a huge personal and professional cost. So I guess that's useful for for us, for each of us to check in on is to to sort of just survey how we're going as we're re-entering the workforce and Look at, you know, do I feel like I'm holding back? Am I hiding? Am I diminishing myself? Or am I pushing myself so far that I'm really burning myself out? Both of those are signs that we might be struggling with imposter syndrome and that we might want to make a shift in how how we're managing that. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. So just on that, so if people are recognising it, what would then be the next step they need to take?
1: The next step that they would need to take is really to – recognize a bit in that cycle. Yeah. And yeah, reach out
0: to reach out with Solomon
1: like I have to help them. But yeah. Yeah. Certainly recognizing when they're in that pattern of feeling like an imposter is the first step. And then after that it's having conversations with your manager if you're really finding yourself in those dynamics. You can also be talking to other people about it as well. Just so that they are able to start to see the patterns and start to shift out of them a bit.
2: Yeah. No, it sounds good. I think it comes back again to that self-trust piece, Mm -hmm. you know, is because often when we're underdoing or overdoing, it's really fear-based. We're really responding out of, oh, this feels too much. I'm going to shrink myself or I'm afraid that I'm not enough, so I'm going to really dive into too much. But when we come back to and reflect on, you know, what really matters to me, what feels like enough to me, what feels like too much, and what really reflects my values and the way that I want to work and contribute, then we're operating from a place of greater self-trust rather than being driven by all of this sort of external fear. So, yeah, I think sitting down and either having conversations, you know, in a coaching situation or journaling, reflecting on that stuff helps us to make decisions and show up at work in a way that really reflects more of who we are.
0: Fantastic. Now, Kassa and Alicia, what do you both do for self-care and fill your cup? Uh, Kassa,
2: do you want to jump in?
1: I love to swim. I feel like the ocean is very, very healing for me.
2: I lost a big sucker for reality TV.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I hate to admit it as a psychologist, but there's nothing uh, (laughs) better than sometimes appearing to sit down and not (laughs) talk to anyone else just to watch your favorite reality TV.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I this is something I really had to work at when I first had my first had my first child because I was so resentful that I had no time to myself and from the moment I woke up it was everybody else's need and I am by no means a morning person but I this was also during COVID so I but I would force myself up out of bed before the family started to stir and we had a rooftop at the time so I go up and I just divide my 10 minutes or 20 minutes whatever I had into three and I do even if it was, if I had 15 minutes I do five minute yoga stretch five minute meditation five minute journal and I would always just expand or contract depending on how much time I had and it made the biggest difference to how I you know show up and feel I don't do it all the time but when I do and I certainly know when I need to mm. so. <laughs> the cracks show <laughs> yeah no it's so important
0: Well, thank you so much, Cass and Alicia, for today's conversation. I know we could go on for a very long time talking about this. I think it's a topic (laughs) all three of us are very passionate about, about supporting women in that return to work. So how can people find out more about the work that you're doing and also connect with you?
1: Yeah, so you can uh, visit our website, which is www.tendher.co, or you can follow us on Instagram, and our Instagram handle is tend underscore women. Yeah, and to we also, and connect with us.
2: yeah, we run monthly gatherings on topics that we invite them along to and also, you know, deliver sessions at organisations. So, yeah, that's where you can find us and connect with us and we'd love to connect with you.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for you both for this such a an uplifting conversation. <laughs> Look, Let's hope, you know, the conversation certainly changes, but also that, you know, the, the talk that you're giving yourself remember that to be of an empowerment one not and that deficit dialogue so you know and if you mama you are returning back to into work certainly reach out you know everyone no matter which community you join even if you just speak to one other person about your return to work and that transition i think it's it's beneficial no matter who you speak with so thank you so much Cass and alicia thank Thank you you. Thank you for listening to the Working Mama podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast catch-up. Please also feel free to contact me on any of the Working Mama social channels. Remember, mama is M-U-M-M-A or website www.workingmama.com.au. I would appreciate you to share this podcast with friends and colleagues, especially those that are parents managing the juggle. And I would really appreciate if you had to take the time out to leave a review of the podcast. Thank you and see you next time. Have a great week.